We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, no Darius today. And last night, we had a trio of games, uh, starting out with Miami taking a commanding 2-0 lead in a very good game. Atlanta played well in that game, but Jimmy Butler had 45 points emerging out of nowhere. Uh, I, I suspect he's been kind of holding some in reserve for the playoffs and certainly closed a, a very good game down the stretch. Followed then by a, a blowout by the number two seeded Memphis Grizzlies. They went down 1-0 to, to start out and ended up winning that game by 30. And then the nightcap, Mike, I think was the most intriguing game of both in terms of how the game actually developed, but the storyline, right? Devin Booker drops 31, looks incredible in that first half, half, but comes up a little gimpy on his, uh, on his hamstring and hammies are tricky, Mike. And this is something where you really rightfully pointed out in game one that the Pelicans had some advantages against, uh, Phoenix. It, they, that, Phoenix struggled against them a bit in ways that I think bore themselves out in game two. And then the Booker injury combined with that, it's like, uh oh, is is Phoenix in trouble? So what where do you view that, Mike? Like this is in the blink of an eye, the playoffs may very well may have changed. Man, absolutely. And it's this is the history of the playoffs. This is a if you sit down with the old Showtime Lakers, uh, one of the first things Michael Thompson will bring up is 88 and the hamstring injuries to Byron into Magic. And how, 89. Oh, mm-hmm. 89, 88, yeah. 89 yeah. season. Yeah. 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 And so uh, oh, Pat Riley get, made us run, you know, at the at, at the extended camp before the playoffs because there there was such a gap there. And, and that's why they lost. So that any year that a team that a really good team loses, usually you can point to at least one type of an injury. Uh, I know that the the Celtics love to do that whole thing with Kendrick Perkins and game seven, although to me, a one game injury is not the same as a guy being out for the whole playoffs, as in the previous time the Lakers played the Celtics when they didn't have Trevor Reza or Andrew Bynum. And, and that was certainly a big influence. But so that's that's now the question, right? So what is this injury with Booker? Is it a is it a it's just hamstring tightness? where he could possibly come back in a day or two. I would say typically you wouldn't see a guy get pulled from the game if it's just tightness. Usually that'd be something that he would kind of 
demand his way back under the floor. And therefore, if it's some kind of a strain, you know, you're looking at an Apologies for trying to be Dr. Mike here. This is, of course, complete speculation. It has nothing to do with his actual hamstring. But the general best case scenario for a hamstring strain, even a minor one, is like 10 days. And so that's the rest of the Pelican series. And wow. potentially, all then, Pete, in concert with this, we can bring up Luca's calf. Because that is who would play the winner of this series, of the Phoenix-New Orleans series, is the winner of Dallas and Utah. And they were able to split. The Mavericks were, thanks to Brunson, which we talked about the other day. And Luka might be coming back, it sounds like, reports say, for Game 3. So if Luka comes back and is actually healthy, then all of a sudden, are we, are we, well, hold on. Phoenix, well, I, I think they can still get past this tricky New Orleans team in a series. They, I think they still have enough to do so. But once they do, or if they do, and then they get healthy Luka... I don't know. Uh, who would you pick in that series? And then how about this kind of brings the Golden State Conference. So everything changes, right? With one tweak to a That's major right. player. And Booker is a major player. Uh, he is a guy that some people had in their MVP ballot. I think we and certainly most people had him as an all-NBA first-team guard this year. And sure, he benefited a bit from some of the other injuries around the league to get to that spot. But he's been fantastic. And it totally changes the trajectory of what this postseason is going to be. So let me kick the question back to you. How, and, and this is at the point where we don't know yet what the MRI is going to say. And, and we haven't seen the Woj or the Shams tweet about, yeah, they expect Booker to miss X. Who Maybe they'll just do, he'll miss the next game and we'll reevaluate. We'll see. But how does it hit you, Pete? What's the top line for you? For me, it's this immediate series. The Suns going back to last year, I think the book on them has been that they're vulnerable to athletic size. Uh, Anthony Davis, Giannis, those types of players can give them issues. And while the Pelicans don't have a player like that, especially in the absence of Zion, right? Like one of those power forward center types that's just a monster athlete. They still have some, they have several guys, Mike, between Larry Nance and Jackson Hayes, B.I. with his length and ability to shoot over the top and, hey, and who's Pete, just unbelievable. Let's, let's pause for a standing ovation for Brandon Ingram. 37 points, 13 of 21 from the field, three of four from three. Unless did they change it because it was three. It was three for three. And then I thought he missed a three late. So maybe maybe they changed it to a two. OK, he must have his foot on the line. So three for three from three, eight for eight from the free throw line, 11 boards, nine assists. Four turnovers, a steal a block, plus 18. How about how about the kid? It's, and that's why they're my top line. I don't think Phoenix should be looking toward Dallas or Golden State or anybody else. Is The thing about B.I. being able to get to this caliber of shooter is that nobody's ever going to block that shot, Mike. Nobody's ever going to bother that or on, on a consistent basis. And so yeah, that he right? can... Yeah, exactly. And, and so that combined with kind of a natural weakness that... Phoenix has to that particular attribute like he's cooking bridges bridges is right up there in the defensive player of the year conversation one of the best defensive wings in the league but he's still six seven when bi gets the ball over his head there's nothing that he can do about that and then when you combine that with Hayes and Nance and Herb Jones and and Murphy there's a lot of guys like they really kicked Phoenix's butt in transition and that's probably the number one place I could see 
Phoenix cleaning up. That's where most of their correctables are. But there are a lot of parts of this series, Mike, even Valanchunas in the middle, like Aiton doesn't have a, oh, I'm just going to plow through absolutely everybody on your team because I'm so much stronger than them that the way I didn't think New Orleans would present much of a challenge to them. But in seeing that in these first two games, even the game that Phoenix won, combined with Booker being out, if Booker played, I, I, I wouldn't have any you know question who would win the series but with him out i don't know man there's it like it's if he's out for any extended period of time it's going to be a, a longer series it's going to go six or seven i really believe that well i agree that it's not it's not one that you can just check the box anymore and that's partly because of booker it's partly because of the matchup and this makes me think of some of the lakers series pete where all right, you got game one and game two at home. You're the number one seed. And this was the case for the Lakers in when they won the 2009 and then the 2010 championships. And then in addition to the bubble championship, like so number one seed in all these, on all of these occasions. And going into those series, nobody ever gives the eight seed a chance or in, forget the eight seed, just on throughout the playoffs. And when you lose game one, oftentimes what happens, and I think this happened with the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves too, that other team comes in with sort of nothing to lose, they're a little bit more aggressive and you just don't have, you don't have the foot fully down in the pedal for that team. That's that number one seed sometimes. And what you all almost always get is the game two response. And that was absolutely the case in Memphis. We'll get back to that. But as it applies to this Phoenix series, the, the inverse can happen where you come out and win game one and kind of take care of business and think, all right, you know, just subconsciously this team. Yeah, they're, they're fine. They they challenged us some, but we got this series. And then that other team comes back in game two with a complete desperation. And that's what New Orleans did. And they were in that game even when Booker was scoring 31 in the first half. They were in it. What were they down? Six at halftime, I think? Yeah, it was it was a very close game. And yeah. only because they were even ahead at one point. It was only that close because Phoenix went on a little run at the end there. But every run that Phoenix went on where you're like, oh, th- this is them taking control of the game. New Orleans immediately had a response. And now, and so with, with that said though, what usually happens with the top, with the higher seed, with the team that's been better throughout the season is that they come back in game three with their desperation game. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite desperation games, and I'm sure yours too, was the game three at Boston in the 2010 finals in which Derek Fisher was, was kind of that, you know, that was the fish game in a lot of ways, but they all played with that proper intensity and passion. And we have to get this home court back, right? Um, Powell was in the trenches, Bynum's in the trenches, Odom is in the trenches, right? So that's Kobe and, you know, Ron are always in the trenches. So, so they were fine in that game, but that I think is going to be really telling for this Phoenix series. But, and I would still favor Phoenix because of that in one part, because I think now, yeah. And, and with Booker going out, like you've now got their full attention. And yeah. this is a, this is also Pete, why I think playoff basketball is so interesting because Phoenix was the team in the regular season where it seemed like you had their full attention all year. But the difference between that mentally and a playoff series is that you just can't ignore the margin for error that you have, which is the other team has to beat you four times. And and so I'm still acknowledging all of your points about New Orleans. And then but I think I'm still going to pick phoenix to win the series are are you at are you there too or are you kind of just no i'm still there uh, and i ultimately have a great deal of respect for what phoenix can do and i think chris paul is going to be able to manufacture enough uh offense for it to happen but rarely in a one eight type of matchup does the eight have something that the one 
can't do much about. And that's really kind of the trump card of a guy like B.I. is you're going to have to double him if you really don't want those over the top and elbow pull ups against Aiton and all of that. If you don't want that, you're going to have to send two to him, which then creates a, another set of problems that Phoenix can execute, but it, it'll be tricky. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to keep getting into into this series and also uh, Miami Atlanta. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I'm curious your thoughts, Mike, on how does Phoenix adjust if they're without Booker for a little while? This is something that the Lakers and we've had a lot of experience the last couple of years of like, OK, we don't have all of our guys. What do we look like? How should we play now? Book missed some time this season and, and Phoenix played well, but this is a different circumstance in a playoff situation against a, a long team. I'm a big fan of Cam Johnson. He's a guy that I, I see as a 30, 35 minute type of guy because his athleticism can match up against New Orleans more so than I, I think Jay Crowder has been hurting them quite a bit. And then, you know, Shamit is a guy off the bench that I think is going to have to step up. Where do you see this series kind of going? What can Phoenix do to kind of get that? Because you're totally right with the idea of urgency. You can't fake it. And Phoenix yeah. will have that very much so in game three. But I think that they have issues beyond that, that it's like they're going to have to make adjustments with book out. So Booker missed seven games back in December. I think that might've been a hamstring strain actually. And Phoenix went five and two and played pretty well. Uh, then he missed four games in a row in March, in early March, and they went three and one. Now opponents there weren't very good. It was, it was Portland, the Knicks and Orlando were the wins. They lost by 10 at Milwaukee. Then he missed that OKC game where nobody played and he sat a couple late as well. And they lost all three of those games. That was kind of when Phoenix was in. All right, we've won the conference and right. like we're, we're good. So I don't know, if Pete, if any of those games are too informative. But I did mention the one loss being at Milwaukee without him. They also lost by 22 at Golden State without him. That was when Golden State was still flying high, A. And Phoenix had beaten them, I believe, a bit earlier. Yeah, they had a home and home early in the season, if I remember correctly. Where okay, so, so they'd beaten them. Yeah, it was a it was like they played Detroit in the middle, but they beat ah, Golden gotcha. State by eight at home. Booker played and then he didn't play in the next game. And so Golden State expectedly won by 22. So, I mean, I think part of the thing about Phoenix and why I still think that they've got enough you know, to win the series. And then let's let's see what the injury situation ends up being with Booker and with Luka if Dallas is able to beat Utah. And. I think that they've got enough guys to cover for either Booker or Paul being out because one, 
Chris can just increase his usage. And this isn't great news, though, for Phoenix long term in the playoffs because mm-hmm. increasing Chris, Chris's usage is problematic for him getting all the way through the conference finals and the finals. But they've got no choice. Like p- the Pelicans are good enough where you have to respect them enough where you can't just sort of say, ah, you know, we'll just plug in Landry Shamit or, you know, Cam Johnson and move, move Bridges down to the two and play campaign more. It's like so Chris is his usage is going to go up and that's going to steady things on the offensive end. It, it just is. So they will miss Booker in, in a lot of different actions. And I'll let you speak to that. Uh, you're certainly much better at that than I am. But when you can bring in not just Cam Johnson, but campaign and Torrey Craig and even Landry Shamit for a couple of minutes, like those are all those are all good enough players. You're not worried about taking them off the floor defensively too much. So I think that Phoenix has to has to kind of get more engaged defensively than they were in game two. And, and the offensive stuff, I think, will mostly be figured out by Chris dissecting things and then by campaign playing a little better. So, but speak to me on that in some, some of the more technical aspects, if you can. Well, I, I 90% agree. I think though, that the more you got to play a guy like Shamit or Payne, and the more you have to rely on CP three, this starts getting into your small guards in the playoffs theory, right? Like one of the things about book and, and, and one of the things about Booker and his improvement has been on the defensive end. He has a certain amount of strength and athleticism where he can just do some things that a guy like Shamit can't do. He can when he's leaning on a big guy to box them out, because that's going to be a big part of this series. Mike is just New Orleans is so big. And that's one of the things that I I feel like I see that pendulum swinging and seeing teams using more and more big groups in the playoffs to their advantage. And it, it, it's it's curious to see. I, I think of that in context with the Lakers and how we build out our team because we're a team that has that ability to be like, is Le, are LeBron and AD a three and four or are they a four and five? And I think that that is a fundamental decision at the beginning uh, you know, of, of how you build out your team. And so those guys that you bring up are capable of stepping in, I think on the offensive end, but Phoenix has a size and length problem right now that those guys actually exacerbate a little bit. So while they're good players on their own, that's why a Cam Johnson, a Tory Craig, that those kind of bigger guys, Craig is in a, a great athlete, had a really nice uh, alley-oop in, in one of these games, but those types of guys more than the smaller players. I don't know. I, I, I'm very curious to see how Phoenix counters that. And it makes me think in context of the Lakers, like that, that's a good route for us because we are able to kind of build a bigger team without sacrificing speed because our two main guys are big, strong and fast. No, it's a fair point. I do want to stipulate that you would not let me claim Booker in my wing camp. I will. The, I would not. And I will not. <laughs> okay. So then, then you also, you are not allowed to have that. And then to speak about how much they will miss his size. Uh, they will miss his size relative, on the wing. It's relative to campaign and Landry Shamit. Well, no, Shamit is the same size as Shamit. He's the same he's, size as Shamit. He's stronger than Shamit. Shamit is maybe they're the same size, but Booker is a more definitely a more physical player. I'll give you that over Shamit. Um, now, but you you just got to give me a little bit of like the big wing thing if you're going to talk about how stout Booker is because that's kind of part of the point, right? If you if you're if you don't have to be taken off the floor on the other end. So, yes, but that doesn't make you a wing. You can be a guard that doesn't have to be taken off of the floor on the other end. You just got to be able to play some defense. All right, we'll, we'll save that for the August part. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have a, yeah. <laughs> Yes, the, the definitions of the guards de- and wings, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. So, all right, let me, I'll just, I'll counter, here's, here's the counter then, right? So, 
we agree on Cam Johnson. He's big. So Cam Johnson played 25 minutes. How about 35 minutes of Cam Johnson? He can handle it. How about mm-hmm. and then, you know, Tory Craig played eight minutes. Landry Shamit played 11. So if you're if you're sitting there and you're watching the film and you're thinking the same thing as Coach Pete, ah, you know what, man, this New Orleans size, like not only is it Ingram, but it's Herb Jones and Trey Murphy. Yeah. And those are the they're huge wings. Like they both look like they're like 6'10 with long arms, right? All over the place. And next to B.I. And then either Hayes or Valanciunas, right? And then CJ is kind of the one guy out there that's small. And, and by the way, Nance, who's been amazing. This that's series. like they're playing two, two, three of those yeah. guys in their front court at the same time. It's like Nance, or it's it's like Bi Nance and Valanciunas, or Bi Hayes and Valanciunas are the right. starters, right? And so it's like a collective thing that they've got two, three of these dudes on the court. And I'm looking over at Phoenix, like you're kind of running out of guys and, to handle with these. And it's why I I love the fit so much for McCollum, and I I always hated the fit mm. with Dame, at least for the course of a playoff series, like regular season, it worked fine because they're both so great offensively. But CJ is almost never out there with somebody else that isn't huge in the backcourt. And if they bring in Alvarado, he plays so much bigger than his size. He's like the Fred Van Vliet type, right? Where mm-hmm. or Chris Paul, like the fire hydrant or just pest and he's not backing down. Pat Beverly, like those guys, those guys have an extra value. But so n- nonetheless, more Cam Johnson, more Tory Craig. I I'm, I can go with you on Shamit, and you just use him in maybe some limited bench minutes to get some shots, but but he's not going to be out there in the key lineups anyway. And then you're still big with with Aiden Crowder, Bridges, um, Johnson, and Paul if that's your five, or or Craig in for some of those minutes to spell Crowder. Bridges basically plays 41 minutes anyway. You know right. he's he's out there, and you're sort of you're not worried about that. So it's but you're you're making your point about the size though does play into one of my general philosophies. So I can't disagree with you on it. And I think that new Orleans knows that, and it is going to be a a tough series. Very much so. And I, uh, and again, I I really get to thinking about the Lakers roster construction in that respect, Mike, I think that the direction that we go this off season with respect to is AD a four or a five is going to be a big one. So let's take another break. When we come back, I want to, I want to hear more about your philosophy with respect to size and length and building a team. So, yeah, Mike, this is one of the first questions, I think, in terms of how we go forward. And I think a lot of that will be determined by what's available from a Russell Westbrook trade as well in in terms of what we get back. But talk to me about when you want to build out a team. I know you you like big physical two-way teams that can defend. We focus a lot about the wing position, but the the four and five and that idea of is AD a four or a five going forward. Talk to me about your general philosophies on length and size and tie it back into the Lakers and, and AD specifically. Yeah, I just think the simplest way for me to try to think about what it has led to NBA teams having success over the years and acknowledging that the basketball hoop is 10 feet tall is that having enough defensive size to hold up and recognizing that in the playoffs, for the most part, pretty detailed offense is cut out a lot by the time you get into these series and teams know exactly what you're going to do. So that's where the superstar type player comes in and your Jordans and your Kareem's and your Magic's and your LeBron's and your Kobe's and modern day Giannis and KD and and, uh, Jimmy Butler playing the way that he's playing right now, boosting Pete's Miami point right from earlier this week like that's that type of size on on offense and that sort of type that type of skill on offense 
is going to it's going to be able to at least give you a shot against that good defense. If you don't have that good defense and that good defensive size, then there just is no shot because teams will just go. That superstar player can call out that mismatch over and over and over and over again until then you have to at at best case double. And then that, like in the series we just talked about, creates this other opening and it's basketball is, is far from that simple, but sometimes it does come down to those elements of a playoff series. So when building a team, that's why I really love that the 1920 and even the 2021 rosters, because you can go, you can add whatever players that you want with requisite size to LeBron and AD. And those two as the anchor points are going to be able to give you so much on both ends of the court that you're going to have an advantage over even two other huge wings like Kawhi and Paul George, which is, by the way, I also love that roster build, right? And it's definitely going to give you an advantage over a Portland where it's McCollum and Dame in the backcourt and their bigs and their wings are, are just not quite there. It's part of why I've never really bought into Utah that much, where their wings mm-hmm. are just not either. They're a little bit taller, but they're not athletic enough and they're not impactful defensive enough. And, you know, Phoenix this year, especially with they are a little bit different of a model from that typical build. And it's a little it's mm-hmm. why I've kind of said I, I don't I don't think this team is just an automatic because of that that type of roster build where Chris Paul is going into the season, your best player, Booker maybe passes him at a certain point, but Booker's, you know, six five. We know Chris is about six foot, and then your screen roll center, Aiden, is not quite the same defensively, even though he can hold up better than a lot of centers, Pete, as your Anthony Davis. Or even your LeBron when he's playing center, where he can bang with your center and then he can go out and guard a guard if he has to. So all of these things, I think, kind of come into play. And when we first looked at this, to bring it back to your question about the, the current Laker roster, when we looked at it, I think the thought of just Westbrook's body size, right? Not what we've seen on tape from him defensively over the years, but just his size at the one is like, oh, OK, that can fit into the big and long and athletic. And then, well, you know, Trevor Ariza. Not watching what he did last year, but just thinking about Trevor Ariza and the size. OK, Interesting. Then, okay, LeBron and AD. And then who's that next guy? Well, THT, you know, can he can he come in and be that bigger sort of longer guard off the bench? So there was we were trying to fit a Bazemore. We we're trying to fit Bazemore into the idea of that team. But there wasn't that there weren't those for sure guys that they had the previous years. Kuz and KCP and Danny Green and Caruso. Yeah. And part of it, too, was the absence of forwards forced a guy like Russell Westbrook, for example, for much of the season was our primary wing defender. He was guarding a lot of threes because he was in a lot of lineups with Malik Monk and another smaller guard where you look at the guys out on the floor and it's like, yeah, Russ is your three defensively. And all of a sudden, the size advantage that he did have defensively is gone. He's actually undersized and is giving up those over the top shots and, to guys. And LeBron, who, LeBron too, you know, at the four or the five, right? Yep, same, yep. same concept. Absolutely. And that's part of the reason why I was so adamant about like zones and switching with those groups is that that style of basketball is more a keep in front type of style. That said, there is no inherent advantage to being smaller. That's it's an inherent disadvantage precisely because the rim is 10 feet up in the air. And so like being there's nothing that you get out of that. The reason teams do it is because smaller players generally are more skilled than bigger players. So if you can get big, skilled players, that's when you're really in business. And that always speaks to your point, Mike, about what LeBron and AD can do is because 
it's not that just that they're such high caliber players, but there's such high cal- caliber players in so many different areas of the game that you can really go in any direction that you want to in building a team. We kind of galaxy brained it this year, right? Where we didn't uh, we didn't fill out that team well in a number of areas, but the con- concept still remains. And with respect to like, do we? go big or small in terms of conceptualizing AD as a four or five going forward. I would love for him to play the four spot, but it's his jump shot, Mike, that concerns me right now that I, I can't, I wouldn't want to build out a team assuming that AD's three point, three point shot is going to come back. And if it doesn't come back, then it means that his other front court partner has to be able to do that. And so if we want that, AD roaming at the four defensively type of idea and he's not banging with fives down low and you need to be able to space the floor on the offensive end you're talking about like Mark Gasol, Brooke Lopez, these kind of bigger beefier guys that can handle the banging while still spacing the floor but then Mike you become maybe a little bit slow you're asking LeBron James to make rotations at the three spot. You're asking, you know what I'm saying? At like overall, that's yeah. the reason the league had downsizes. The ultimate idea is you have to be able to defend the perimeter too. And that's what the Golden State Warriors really, uh, they found this weakness in the league in the middle of the 2010s and, and said, hey, we're going to maximize this. And all of a sudden they started forcing other teams to downsize a bit. And so that's, the conundrum I see us in, Mike, is like if AD, like in some ways, I think AD needs to be a five for us to have the necessary foot speed to be able to defend the perimeter, or his jump shot needs to come back. Yeah. If his jump, if he's shooting the way that he did in in, in the bubble or after January first, then I'd prefer we are a bigger team. There's no advantage to going smaller, but we have to be able to like we have to be able to space the floor at least offensively. Yeah. So Stu Lance has been around the NBA. A long time. And when the Lakers would go small this year, I think there was some there was some frustration watching the game that you could even hear and like, all right, well, what what is the advantage, though, that you're getting if you're small, if you're not able to hit shots or or conversely, what is the advantage of being big if your centers can't punish the other team inside? Because then yes. they're just out there doing nothing, just clogging up the paint. You know, not necessarily even helping you rebound, certainly being taken advantage of the other end. So it's like you there has to be a point to a player being out there. Right. That And so I think about this and you just said about A.D. To me, I'm not worried about A.D. Like I'm only worried about him being on the court, him staying healthy and being on sure. the court. And now I think that what I if I if I just had to pick what I like the best, like the basketball trope, the the idea of a team around A.D., I do like the idea of a stretch five of like a really good and these guys are very hard to find, by the way, of a good shooter from three who stays way out of the paint and just spreads the floor and then goes back and can anchor the defense at the rim. But not so much to the point where you go you go against Chris Paul or Trey Young or Steph Curry and he's going to get pulled out and just, you know, annihilated that way. So that's a hard player to find. And there is a guy that can do that, and his name is Anthony Davis. Um, take away the knockdown three-point shooting, but in terms of the defensive. So I will. I would still like to start that way and then let the AD at the five lineups be the thing that just counter the team and screw them. 
once they once they go to that pitch. And that's basically what we saw, Pete, when they won the title, outside of the fact that JaVale and Dwight Howard were roll bigs and couldn't couldn't space and shoot, but they still like it was fine. It was fine. And those guys, for the most part, played well. So it's some hybrid, it's some mix of that. But I, I do like the idea of AD having a guy out there with him just to give you that supersized, ridiculous length early, plus some spacing, and and not have to rely upon the jump shot, even if I'm less concerned about the jumper than you are. Yeah, I'm in a similar spot in terms of uh, that being the type of guy that can... Because one thing we'll see as these playoffs develop... You, if you look at the course of, say, a Miami Heat playoff run or a Boston Celtics playoff run, their pads, they're going to have to be very different teams to win it all. So Miami is playing a small Atlanta team right now, with especially with Capella out. Collins just got back from injury, and that's something where he's you know getting his conditioning back. And then Atlanta is just not particularly stout and sturdy on the inside anyway. If they close out the series against Atlanta, they're going to have to deal with Joel Embiid the next round, right? Talk about a total difference in style of play and what you have to deal with on the interior. And so in terms of building out a Lakers roster, got to have those multiple looks. And I think that's really important. I'm with you on that type of player, at least to start out, and then the AD at the five groups bringing us home. Are you of the mind that this should be a – a vet min type of player or the type of player that we might get back in a trade, right? Where you maybe invest a little bit more money in, in them. Where do you stand? Cause I think that that third position, I wish D was here too. And we'll ask him about this too. But I think that guy that that third front court player between LeBron and AD, like what type of player that is determines a lot of the direction of the team in an odd way. So how much do you invest in that? This is a much more difficult question because the limited resources that are currently available. Mm-hmm. And if you, if I, so in some ways I have to pick between say Malik Monk, right. And mm-hmm. a bigger wing and a versatile five. And I can only have one essentially that's it's above a vet min. So I will, I will probably take the, not probably, I will definitely take the bigger wing out of those three types, just because I think that the sheer fact that you only play one center, a lot of teams aren't playing as many that you got a better chance of getting a guy like that on a vet man that can hold up, that can shoot some threes that can, or at least do one of the two. And even if, and even if you have to get one of each, like, <laughs> like one yes. space, because instead of, so Dwight and Deandre, right. To me, not the kind of pair that you want. Like they both do the same thing. One does it That's better right. than the other. So, yes. you know, I want options there where against a certain matchup, this team isn't going to punt it. So the, a team that doesn't have Joel Embiid. OK, cool. Just give me the space five and who, mm-hmm. who, who a team that's not going to bang inside. And then a team that does. OK, well, that's when you need Dwight. Right. Or somebody like that, at least for a couple of minutes. So that's right. I guess that would be my answer, Pete. So I would I would try to space out. I would do use a couple of vet mins on that center spot. Use the most money that I have on the big wing and then. You know, I'm I'm probably gonna just gonna take my chances at the other spot, and, and you got Kendrick Nunn coming back, right? You got THT coming back. I've sort of got enough of those smaller guys that I yep. don't want to use my remaining resource there. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at as well, Mike. Before we wrap up, the Grizzlies tied it up yeah. in Game Two. Your thoughts? Well, this is a fun series that I I think that I would you and I could probably do 40 minutes on just on this. So let's try to keep it to four or five, and. 
these are two young, exciting teams. Their profiles are actually pretty similar. If you can think mm-hmm. about Anthony Edwards as the number one pick, John Morant as the two pick of Jaron Jackson Jr., a three pick as a big, Carl Anthony Towns, the one pick. So some real pedigree, some real talent that's young and that is starting to get to know each other. Certainly, John and Jaron are a step ahead just in that extra year from Ja. And then, you know, D'Angelo Russell being really good in game one, struggling a lot in game two. And that's how he's been. You know, D'Lo has been up and down this year. And then you've got a lot of up and down guys on the Wolves, right? You've got Beverly, you've got Malik Beasley, who comes off the bench. She was great in game one, did almost nothing in game two. Vanderbilt, who can be really impactful as an athlete, did nothing in this game. So there, these are not, Minnesota is not yet a consistent team. Memphis was a consistent team in the regular season because their bench group is really solid and they're big, they're athletic, they're fast, they're together. And I just thought in game one, you saw the typical regular season team of Memphis who was off for a week who thought, Hey, like we're good now. Not that they, not that it wasn't going to come back as it did in game two, but at least subconsciously they, they thought, Hey, this is our time. Like we're ready to roll. And they didn't have quite the same level of hunger and aggression as the Timberwolves who did, who came in as the underdog, who came in with this, with this ready to bite. And so Memphis sorted that out. They, I'm sure they had a lengthy film session, Pete. They got into the Grizzlies film room and they watched and they, and they saw, hold on, this team played harder than us. That That's not what happens, mm-hmm. especially in our gym. Mm-hmm. So they come out and they pounce on the Wolves and, and this, as eventually in the third quarter, right? Push that lead up to 20. So, now the interesting thing to me, and to bring back all these these Laker games of the past, that I saw that game happen to the Lakers so many times, where they get that early series. It, it wasn't always game one; sometimes it was game two. But then you know what they did every single time, and you can go back and look at all of the game longs. They won either game three or game four on the road. Usually game three, right? Usually it was game three. It's like no, 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 no. It's our home court. We're getting it back, and and I do expect that Memphis will be able to get that split. Going back to Minnesota, I still I still think that Memphis wins the series because they got that scare, you know, from this team in Minnesota is good enough to beat us. And but we're not this is our year. We're not letting that happen. And as a Minnesota native, I'm certainly rooting in a sense for for the Wolves. But I've also got some Grizzlies connections. So it's an interesting series in that sense. What what's your takeaway? And, and do you see it the same way? Yeah, I think you really spoke to the idea of urgency and you can't fake it. That That's and there's also. It's different being in the position of the hunted than the hunter. That's one of the curious parts about both Phoenix and Memphis is as the number one and number two seed, they haven't been there for very long in terms of over the course of years, they're a perennial top of the conference. You know when you play them, like Milwaukee, for example, not only are they the reigning champs, Milwaukee's been good for several years. So you associate them with like one of the, when you go to Milwaukee, you're playing one of the best teams in the league and you've known that for a few years. And so Phoenix and Memphis have not been in that position for very long. And that idea of sitting home, this is also a thing too, Mike. I think that the top two seeds with the play-in are somewhat disadvantaged, not knowing who they're going to play right away. Although the seven seed different than, than the eight seed. But I, I think that that mentality is, has really shown through in, in uh, this series that, you know, hunter versus hunted, hunted. And I, I think that the playoffs, you also escalate in intensity in ways that what's up Riggs, you escalate in intensity in ways that uh, takes some getting used to. So game ones, game ones can be funky, Mike. Uh, Yes. Uh, 
And and so as the series goes on, though, it's it's just I'm I'm what I'm really curious about is do, can Memphis or Minnesota? And I think Memphis is, would be the bet here, right? Can they establish something moving forward? Can they establish them themselves as like a team that is next? And if they're going to do that, then they got to go in and win Game Three, um, and at least one of the two of Game Three and Four on the road. So I'm going to be watching that one closely. Should be fun. Uh, got some good ones tonight too with the game two, Brooklyn and Boston. Curious to see if we have another classic or where that goes. Cause I think that de- depending on the outcome of this game is going to de- determine, I think, where a lot of this series goes. All right. We'll be back to cover that and a lot more. Should have a full house for tomorrow's show. Bye, Pete. Say bye, Riggs. Can only keep him away for so long. He's still That's starstruck right. it's good at this to see point, though. Again. So he won't, he won't be speaking for another minute or two. <laughs> All right. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.